we're going back to James, chapter number 5. And like I've been trying to do, I've been bouncing back and forth, back and forth between the verse we are on and verse number 16, which is the statement that sums up the whole, as some translations has, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And uh, we're going back to that as well today. Our context is verse 13 through verse 16. That's the one we're working on right now. And you're getting it one small bite at a time, I know. But I think it's going to help us in the long run. And uh, so, I, I hope that you could see the whole picture as I present this and not just walk away with just a piece and say, well, that must be all there is to it. Because it just needs a lot of time to develop. And and it's amazing to me how James could write it in four verses, and it could take us weeks and weeks and weeks to, you know, try to dissect it and understand it, and certainly to apply it is another thing, too. But uh, today, I, w- I just want to prepare you for this. Um, our, our study has been, especially in this little section on prayer, and it's easy to set a prayer like this little thing over here, and stand here and look at it and investigate it and talk about it and everything else. But today we're talking about the prayer. And suddenly it gets very personal. And the attention is not on that, but guess who it's on? Us. And it might make you a touch uncomfortable as we go through this today. I know it makes me very uncomfortable uh, just because of the content of what we have before us. All right, so I set you up for it. Now you're all like that. But let's, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, your word is wonderful. You said that the unfolding of the word gives light. And we need help. We need help. Not just for the day-to-day things of this life, and there's a lot of that. But we need help to know you better. And to know what you've called us to be. We need help to become more like Christ. To learn this thing called prayer. And to be well versed in it. Quite capable in it. It's not, Lord, that we don't have access to you and we can pray at any time, any place. But this is an incredible opportunity. And a high spiritual calling to converse with the God of the universe, to be able to express our thoughts and say them your way, and to pray in a way that would please and glorify you. There is much for us to learn. And no matter where we are along the the avenue of our education on prayer, we still need more. We're like the disciples who came to you one day and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we ask that again today as we dive into this topic, and it's a deep one, it's a challenging one, but it's it's something that you send our way, because you love us, and you want us to grow. And I pray that we're receptive today, just like we sang today, just like we prepared. May we have our ears open to your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, follow along with me, because... Um, verse 13 through 16 will be our context. Is anyone among you suffering? 
then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful, he is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, just in that paragraph, there's three or four things there that make us stop and say, What? (laughs) There's interesting words in this section. No doubt in verse number 14, as you went through that, you might have started thinking, Well, what's that oil thing all about? Because it does mention anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We are getting to that, right? Week by week, I, I, to tell the truth, I'm setting the table for it. When we, when we deal with it, you're going to say, oh, now it makes the perfect sense because I'm going to keep giving you pieces that will help you understand it. Um, verse number 15 and 16, boy, there's a focus here on sins and committed sins. And how does that involve prayer? That's an interesting question, too, which I'm not going to answer yet today, but I'll give you the pieces as we start to walk through this. Then you get to verse number 16, and maybe you have a question on that. You read the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, and you may suddenly ask personally, personally, how can my prayers be effective? That's our study today. I want it to focus on one phrase, technically, and yet a lot to offer with it. The prayer of a righteous man. Right there at the end of verse number 16. The prayer of a righteous man. I call this a secondary title for our sermon today is, How to Get God's Attention. Alright? You ready for this? Let's start with an Old Testament story. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter number 18. I'm going to have you all over Scripture today. Now I've got to find Kings. Oh, it's still there. Okay. 1 Kings 18. It's a story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You might know the story. You might have heard it in Sunday school years ago. We're going to take a close look at this. This is a fascinating thing. Travel down to verse number 18. Now, Elijah is is living as a prophet in the days of Israel when the king was as rotten as can be and his wife was worse. And uh, Elijah is is contesting uh, with a very wicked generation, a very wicked nation, a very wicked set of leadership. And there were prophets of the god Baal. God, put a small g on that, please. Uh, Baal, a Phoenician god that was used for agricultural purposes and all kinds of other disgusting things. Um, Not that agriculture is disgusting. I'm just meant in addition to. All right. But uh, uh, he is, he is the God of choice at the time, and the people are worshiping him. And, and there were some 850 officiates of the worship of Baal. There were a lot of them. 
and, and at times Elijah felt quite outnumbered, uh, he proposed a contest for them. And it was quite a remarkable day it was when he invited them all up to uh, the mountain with him. And they were going to find out once and for all whose God is God. And he says, it's a simple challenge I have for you today. Um, we're going to both set up altars. You set up your altar, I'll set up my altar right here in front of everybody. And when we set up our altar, we're going to both call on the name of our gods. And the God who answers with fire, he be God. Now, that's quite a challenge when you think about it. To have everything there but the fire. And you have to call upon your God to light the fire. And that would be a pretty telltale sign, right? I mean, if you're suddenly it burst into flames, I'd be, wow, that's pretty impressive. So that was the challenge that he offered. Now, Elijah was greatly outnumbered in this. But here in verse number 18 is where we're going to start. First uh, Kings 18, start in verse 18. And this is Elijah talking. He says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. That's 850 folks. So Elijah sent a message among all the sons of Israel, and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen. And let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up, place it on the wood. Put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will put no fire under it. Then you will call on the name of your, your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, this is a good idea. Isn't that funny? Okay. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. That's my paraphrase. All right. Choose one ox for yourself and prepare it first. For you are many. And call on the name of the Lord your God, but put no fire under it. All right. Mark a few things as we go through here. The prophets of Baal are going to pray. Now, of course, they're praying to a God who doesn't exist. So it's kind of hard to get his attention, isn't it? We know that from the our side of the study. But let's stop for a minute and say that they're going to teach us how to pray. All right? What they would tell you first is you've got to have a lot of people to do it. They start with the fact that they are many. That's verse number 25. Now, mark this as we go. Prayer is not based on numbers. True prayer is not based on how many. All right, so they did that. Verse number 26, they took the ox, which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. 
they prayed three or four hours. That's a long prayer meeting. Prayed all the way through the morning hours. No answer. Because prayer is not based on duration, folks. It's not how long you pray that gets any God's attention, especially our God. It's not based on your duration. All right? It didn't work for them either. It says at the end of verse number 26, And they leapt about the altar which they made. Starting to get very animated out there. They start jumping around here and there, very energetic. You know, prayer is not based on enthusiasm either. So many times you think if we just say it more enthusiastically, the Lord will hear it. After all, He wants fervent, doesn't He? So we put in all the actions and actions that that make it look enthusiastic. Well, it didn't work for them. And it came about at noon, verse 27 says, that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied, or he's gone aside, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be waking up. So he's having a little fun with them. So they cried out with a loud voice, verse 28 says. Prayer is not based on volume. Volume is not the answer either to get God's attention. It certainly didn't work with Baal. They cried out with a loud voice, it says in verse number 28. And then they cut themselves according to their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. They cut themselves. Prayer is not based on your sacrifice. (laughs) And that's what they were doing here. To get their God's attention, they had to sacrifice their comfort, their own physical well-being. They cut themselves. One commentator said they responded by increasing the fervor of their appeals by working themselves into a frenzy to propitiate their God. They mutilated their own bodies as the custom of pagan worshipers have been for centuries. This continued for another three hours. What happened? Midday was past. They raved, verse 29 says, until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, he says, my turn, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to which the word of the Lord had come, and saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the oxen in pieces, and laid it on the wood. Now, he's not doing anything magical here at all. An altar had already been there. He just rebuilt it. He said, but it's 12 stones. Yeah, there were 12 stones. He picked up 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. By the time this was written, the tribes had already divided. They were north and south, and they considered themselves two different groups. And God had not determined them two different groups. 
They were one people in his eyes. So Elijah is just showing them that's what it's about. It's nothing you need to figure out. Don't go collecting 12 stones this afternoon and say, that's what I need to pray. All right, that's not what Elijah was showing. He cut it up. He put a trench around it, which was rather interesting at that, because what he's going to show you is fascinating here. He says, put a trench around it. And he said in verse 34, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He's going to show them there's no trick here. (laughs) Matter of fact, I'm going to make it as least likely that flame is going to pop out of this wood. I'm going to soak it. He not only did it once, he had them do it a second time. He had them do it a third time. And so the water, it says in verse 35, flowed around the altar and filled the trench with water. It's very wet. Kind of like rain in Hillsdale. It is very wet. All right? How likely can a trick happen here to make that work? He wanted to convince the people of something. Now watch carefully what follows in verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, He didn't dance. He didn't scream. He didn't pray for hours and hours and hours. He did not use lofty, long, incredible words. He didn't cut himself. He said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in heaven in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. For this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. He prayed. If you study that prayer, it's a testimony about God. Who God is, and what God does. That was his focus. It wasn't about saving Elijah's skin. It wasn't about Elijah standing in the public eye to make him more popular or to anything of that nature. He says, Lord, I want this to be about you. I just want them to see you. In response to that, notice in that prayer, he never once said, send your fire. He just says, Lord, show them. Let it be known that you are God. That's all. Just answer them. And the fire of the Lord fell. Verse 38. And consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water. Woo! Would you be impressed? Would you stand there and say, Ah, I think we know who won. The people recognized it was God, the Lord. He is God. The Lord, He is God. That's what they started to chant. You say, okay, good story, Pastor. Let me take you to another place. Let's go to Isaiah for a minute. Chapter number 1. Isaiah chapter number 1. Because I want that, that first picture in your mind as we start the second picture. Because Isaiah came along not too long after Elijah was off the scene. And I want to give you a contrast between wicked men 
who do the right thing, but are not right with God. All right, I emphasize something there. Who do the right thing, but are not right with God. Look at starting in verse number 10 through verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. These are not happy little nicknames for them. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough, he says, of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon, your festivals, your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer... I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. They were doing what God told them to do. They were coming to the temple. They were worshiping in all the activities of what worship looked like. They were bringing their sacrifices. They were putting them on the altar. They were praying to the Lord. Multiple prayers, he says. No doubt, long prayers. Duration. Enthusiasm. All those pieces and parts. Lots of them doing it. God says, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. You're praying to me as wicked people. I will not hear you. I will not hear you. They were doing it, but it wasn't that doing it that got God's attention. Read the rest of the passage with me. Follow along as I go. Verse number 16 through 20. The righteous man who approached God the way he desires, the way God desires, is seen in these verses. First, they deal with sin. Second, they practice what is right. Watch the words, 16 through 20. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Those your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's an incredible passage. It's an Old Testament picture for you to see. All right? We're not talking about whether or not your wheat crop's going to do well this year. They were their their understanding of the Lord's blessing was physical in the Old Testament. There was visible evidence that they walked with God. He blessed them with good crops and good herds and good flocks. And, and he blessed them with good health and things like that. Those were all the little flashing of light on their dashboard. When they disobeyed the Lord, their crops failed. Their herds died. They had problems with diseases. They had problems with their, their 
the amount of food available to them, they had problems with enemies. All of those red flashing lights there saying, you're not right with me, you're not right with me. That was God's way of communicating with them. And in Isaiah's day, he says, you think that you're going to get my attention just coming here and appeasing me with actions, praying real hard, giving your sacrifices and all that. And all the while, you're not right with me. You have blood on your hands. He says, you want the answer. You want me to respond. Clean your hands. Clean your heart. Come before me as I desire you to be. Holy, righteous, pure. And then I will show you what I'll do for your land. God is not making a deal with them. God wants their life. Completely. And Isaiah is recording that for us. There is a difference between the way people approach God. There's another verse we add to this that was spoken when the temple was dedicated, Solomon stood over the people and he gave an incredible statement in his prayer. And this prayer, you recognize one part of it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. At times I say, boy, we need that today, don't we? People turning to the Lord with the right motives, with the right heart. But Solomon made those words to Israel. He spoke to those people. He says, you, God's people, Israel, you're looking for physical blessings to show that you have a right relationship with God. It starts with humility. Humble yourselves. See, humility, this whole thing he said in his prayer, it's not a process. It's a correction. Because humility is needed for those who are prideful. And he says, pray, because they didn't. And he says, seek my faith, because they didn't. And he says, turn from your wicked ways, and it's because they didn't. So he was calling for them to be corrected in all this. And if they correct themselves in the eyes of God, God hears God forgives. God heals their land because He can. (laughs) And that's what they were taught in the Old Testament. That was what they were taught about prayer. Now you go to the book of James. Go to the book of James. I'm going to give you a short tour this morning. Alright? Go to chapter number 1. You're going to recognize some of these words because it's going to sound like, Isaiah is still talking. This sounds like Elijah. This sounds like something Solomon said. Don't be surprised. In James chapter 1 verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's a lot of food for thought there. Move to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 just for a minute. 3 and 4. 
you ask and do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses. Oh, what a, what a nickname that one is. Woo! Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ouch! Oh, jump down to verse 6. Let's go through 6 to 10 while we're at it. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Those are words on prayer. Now, what does he say about righteousness? Go back to chapter 1 again. Travel over to verse 19 and 20 for a minute. Verse 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Have you heard that before? I want you to look very carefully at verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. There are some who have big problems with anger. The reason why we tend to to get angry is because we think that makes our point. If we can't get it accomplished with a soft word, we're going to pull out a bigger hammer. And we're going to scream it out. We're going to yell it out. We, we are very quick to anger at times. Very quick to it. And then this verse is very convicting. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It does not. Being louder doesn't accomplish anything. Being angrier does not accomplish anything. Righteousness does. That's being right with God. Just a thought for you there. But if you wrestle with anger, put that as a verse to learn. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Verse 26, just jump down a little further in chapter 1. If anyone thinks himself to be righteous, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We just read that in the Old Testament too. And then he gives us this in chapter 2. Start in verse 14. This is where it starts to get real, real straightforward. You ready? What use is it, my brother, in verse 14? If anyone says, he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and is in need of daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and if you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, 
being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons believe that too. They shudder. Are you, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And God, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. You say, what's that mean? Now, this is not to be troubling. It's not to mislead you. People think that he's advocating a faith based on works. In other words, clean it all up and God will be pleased and he'll save you. That's not true. He's talking about a faith that works. A faith that produces works because it's true. A living faith will live faithfully. A living faith will work. If it's not working, that faith is dead. That's all he's trying to say. In other words, what he's talking to them is is this simple thing. I hope it makes sense. We do righteousness... Because we are righteous. It's not what you do. It's who you are. It's who you are. We could talk about this in salvation and the acts of being saved. We could take it all the way down to prayer. Prayer is an act of a righteous man. That's what James said. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Righteous is the key. That's the thing I want to underscore to you. And all these things I set up before you for you to see. Many times we don't reference that part of the prayer. Because we're so busy with all the other things in the prayer. The concept of the verse, it says, what's effective? What's fervent? What's accomplishing? How does it work? What about the oil? What about the sins? All these things, we get all wrapped up in there. And he says, it's a righteous man. Don't miss it. It's a righteous man who offers a prayer that accomplishes much. Let me spell it out for you simply as we go about. There's a lot more, I know. But this is important. We're not talking about how to pray as much as we're talking about who prays. A lot of people go through the actions, and I just showed you examples of them. They could be as wicked to the core as possible, and they go through the actions. They scream and they shout and they say long words and they say important words and they go on and on and on with all kinds of activity in prayer. They bring their bulls, they sacrifice them, they do it on the right days, they make sure they go to the right place, they have the right person do it for them, and all these things, but they're not right with God. It's not about how you do it, it's about who you are. 
Because we sometimes get so caught up in the actions when God is looking at the heart. He sees the heart. Who is a righteous man? I hate to tell you that clock has just moved. And look at this. One, two, three, four. I've only got six more pages to go. And I've only done four so far. There's some good stuff here, folks. I hate to say stay tuned. But this is what we're here for. We're here to learn, right? Sometimes they just take a little bite today because there's a big bite. That's the rest of this. I'm not going to sleep the rest of the week just knowing it's here. But here's what I want you to know. If we can sum this up, because my application is way at the end, but if we could sum this up, it's about a relationship between you and your God. It's not about ritual. All right? It's not about ritual. If you think that I could only pray in a certain place at a certain time with a certain garment on, with a certain thing in front of me and all these other gizmos and gadgets and all the other things you put into it, if you think I could only pray if I know all the right theological words, if I say it at the right tone of voice, if I do it a certain amount of time, if you start putting parameters on it that are all in action, then you've stepped outside of what God is looking at because he's looking at your heart. He's looking at your heart. That's where I'm going to leave you for a week, all right? Talk to the Lord about your heart. When we come back, we're going to keep on going, and I'm going to ask you, who's the righteous man? All right? I'm going to ask you who that is. So you've got a week to think about that. Do some homework, and we'll talk about it next week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your patience with us. You've seen us in action, Lord, for all these years. You've been so very good to us, so very kind to us, so patient with us. And I thank you, Lord, for your love. I thank you for what you have done, that we can actually stand in your presence today, and we can stand there boldly because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the difference he has made, not what we have done, but because of Him who shed His blood that covered our sins, that gave us a standing before You as children. What a privilege we have to have the ear of the Omnipotent, to have Your attention, to have Your love. You've been so good to us. And I thank You, Lord, for it. We've got things to learn here, yes, but... I'm glad you're teaching us day by day and conforming us to the image of Christ. We just want to be willing participants and understand how it works. So teach us, Lord, today as we leave this where it's at. Work in our hearts, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.